Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Prophets are usually not the cheeriest of individuals. And Isaiah is a typical example of this kind of mentality. The first half of the book of Isaiah, up to chapter 40, is basically a doom and gloom book, where he is telling Israel that they are going to be punished. Chastisement is coming. They must repent. You have to heed the Lord's prophets, or you will be punished. And historically, this is actually what we see taking place, where in the year 587, because of their sins, because of the fact that they did not repent, Babylon came, and Babylon laid waste their capital city of Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, and deported most of the citizens of the country. And this was the the greatest national disaster in all of Israel's history. You know, the prophecies about the Davidic dynasty that would last forever, about how as a king would come who would rule from coast to coast. It seemed as if those were all for nothing. The Davidic dynasty came to an end, in a sense, at the Babylonian exile. And what's more, in the mentality of the ancient world, when one nation conquered another nation, it's because the conquering nation's gods were greater than the conquered nation's gods. So it seemed as if the Lord God, Yahweh, was overcome by the gods of the Babylonians. So they were in a very bad place. And this is where chapter 40 of Isaiah's book picks up. What we just heard today in the first reading. Isaiah, starting with this chapter, is beginning to instill hope and comfort into the people who are in exile in Babylon. Our Lord comes with the message, Comfort, give comfort to my people Israel. And why? Should they be comforted? Like, why are they supposed to be consoled? Because her guilt has been expiated. Because she has received double for her sins. In other words, Israel should be consoled because her sins have been expiated. Her release from captivity is imminent. And then in a kind of a figurative way, Isaiah talks about how the Lord is going to come from Jerusalem, where they all came from, for his people who are now in Babylon. And so he commands the people, prepare the way of the Lord, get ready for his coming. He's going to be crossing the desert between Jerusalem and Babylon, and when he reaches you, he is going to take you into his arms like a shepherd and bring you back to your land. Perhaps in our lives, we've had some exile moments where we've hit rock bottom like the, people, like the nation of Israel. You know, perhaps it was because of a sin we committed. Maybe we were living in a state of sin. Maybe we had turned our backs on God. Maybe this time of pandemic is one of a, is an exile moment for us. Maybe the loss of a loved one or some sort of financial strait, and we don't know how we're going to make ends meet. In fact, very often, God will allow these exile moments in order that we might imitate the nation of Israel and convert unto him. For centuries he had been calling them to conversion and they did not heed his call. He sent them into exile and then they began to have a revival in their faith. 
And oftentimes God will allow exile moments in our lives so that we too might have a conversion, that we might revert to our Lord, that we might see the vanity of everything besides Him. Maybe our Lord will not take away that situation we're struggling with. He might not restore our loved one to life. He might not fix our financial situation. The pandemic might continue to go on for a while. But the spiritual liberation that our hearts are longing for is inevitable for those who keep the faith. This is the case because, as one church father put it, the true consolation and release from all human ills is the incarnation of our God and Savior. Freedom and consolation ultimately come from Jesus Christ. And he will come to whoever asks him to do so. Now, this being the case, as we go through these exile moments, we can ask, like the nation of Israel must have asked, why does he delay? Israel was in exile for 70 years before God came for them. If he's going to bring about a resolution, if he's going to bring liberation, why not do it now, as soon as we ask? Why put it off? Why delay? And this, and he very often does this, but this, this MO of God, the, the way of acting of God, is particularly confusing for us in our culture because we tend to be a culture which is very fast-paced. You know, communication, for example, is something which we want to instantaneously. We need to know things as soon as they're happening, and we need responses from people that we're trying to communicate for immediately. I one time heard it explained in a workplace environment that emails have to be answered before the day is out, calls should be returned within a couple hours, and texts have to be answered immediately or there's something very wrong going on. And travel is something similar. We want to get where we're going as soon as humanly possible. When I was growing up in California, rush hour was just, you know, the, the name of the game. You know, you couldn't leave your door without hitting rush hour. Every single day there was a 40-minute commute to and a 40-minute commute back from school. And everybody was frantically trying to get to their destination as soon as possible, frantically trying to get back home as soon as the day was done. But God, on the other hand, doesn't seem to be in much of a hurry most of the time. He takes his time. The Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And then he had them wandering in the desert for 40 more years. And then they waited 1,200 years for the coming of the Messiah. And when he finally did come, he spent 30 years doing almost nothing in Nazareth. So God could solve all of our problems with the snap of his finger. But he usually does not do this. And there are different reasons why, and when we get to heaven, we're going to see the reasons why. But let's remember that old saying, where God's plans are never fulfilled early, they're never fulfilled late, God's will is carried out exactly on time. One thing that the Lord seems to be taking his time with is the parousia, his second coming at the end of the age. Now, that might not be something that we're all instinctively looking forward to, you know, the end of the world, especially given St. Peter's description in the second reading, where St. Peter says that when the world ends, when our Lord comes again, the heavens will pass away with a mighty roar, the elements, so everything material, 
will be dissolved by fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found out. So all of our deeds are going to be made public. And on top of this, we know that before all the elements are dissolved and the heavens pass away and everything we've done becomes known to everybody, before that happens, there's going to be this time of great tribulation and persecution. But for those who are faithful, this will be a joyous reunion with our Lord. But many people throughout the ages have asked, where is he? Why has God not come back yet? He said he was going to come for us. Where is he? It's been 2,000 years now. Why does he delay? And St. Peter answers that question in his second reading. He says one of the reasons why God is not coming back is that he is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not procrastinating his return. He is being merciful. He's holding off his judgment long enough for sinners to repent because that's what he wants. He desires that all people be saved. But in order to be saved, we must repent. So Peter concludes very logically by exhorting us to conversion. He says, since everything is to be dissolved in this way, you should conduct yourselves in holiness and devotion and come to repentance so that you will be found without spot or blemish before him at peace. In other words, the world is going to end. So get ready for the coming of the Lord so that when he is there, you can stand before him calmly. Indeed, Peter tells us to be like the crowd that heeded John the Baptist's call to conversion and submitted to his baptism of repentance. Because like Peter is trying to prepare us for, G for Jesus' second coming, John was trying to prepare his contemporaries for Jesus' first coming. He wanted, first of all, to, for the people there to acknowledge their own sinfulness. Because this is what would prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus, his name means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus is coming to save us from our sins. But if the people don't recognize that they have sins, what do they need a savior for? So John's first objective is to convince them to acknowledge their own sins. And he seemed to be succeeding because the Jews were acknowledging their sins, as it says in the gospel, and they were submitting to this baptism of repentance. And that's something we need to do as well during this Advent season. We need to acknowledge our sins and we need to confess them to Lord God in the sacrament of, of, of reconciliation. And we also need to do what John talks about in the midst of the gospel. We need to prepare the way of the Lord by leveling mountains and filling valleys. In each of our lives, there are some unique hills that need leveling and valleys that need filling. So what is that force that, is op that obliges God to deviate as he's trying to make his way into our lives? Does he have to make a detour around any possession of ours, any relationship, any position? Is there some reason why God just can't come straight to us? How are we evading God in our daily lives? And everybody here has got their own unique answer. There's something that we all struggle with. 
That's individual, that's particular. But I bet many of us could answer that one thing is keeping us away from our Lord is the amount of time we're spending with different screens. I'm talking about phones, tablets, TVs, computers. These things can very often be an obstacle between us and the Almighty. And yes, of course, they could be of help. Many priests will use their phones to pray the breviary these days. My brother, when he went to adoration before the seminary, he'd always take notes on his phone. During the quarantine, I recorded a number of Marian consecration talks with a tablet. A priest friend of mine in California, he goes to the rectory chapel every day with his laptop to write his homilies. Screens can be good, they can be helpful. But they can easily become vicious and harmful and counterproductive. There's a reason why when you go on a retreat, they're usually banned altogether. Our God is a person, and you cannot have a deep relationship with a person who is there next to you if you are plugged into a device. And so in many ways, we should take the same approach with screens as we do with alcohol. In the sense that it's not sinful to have a screen. It's not sinful to have a phone, tablet, TV, computer, all that. It's not sinful to drink either. But we need to use both of them responsibly. Because both of them can easily become addictive. And so as we begin this new liturgical year with the season of Advent, it's worth looking at our own use of those devices. How many hours a day am I spending on these things? Like if I'm spending more time on my screens than I do in prayer, in reading, in exercise combined, there might be some sort of a disproportion there. Oftentimes, we need to wait a while for things to pass. But we need to wait only a few moments more for the Lord to come to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist. As Isaiah proclaimed of old, Behold your God. Behold your God who comes with power and might. This is the good news. This, these are the glad tidings. This is the gospel that John the Baptist was proclaiming on the Jordan. Our God is coming. And so let us call upon Mary, the woman who brought him into this world, to prepare us to receive him in this sacrament, that we might always appreciate the great gift that he gives us by coming to us now sacramentally. And may the strength of this communion give us that grace we need to continue to wait patiently for the Lord's coming until he comes again.